Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Misha, thanks so much for joining us today again on the Expat Empire podcast. Hey, man, good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to get to connect again. Of course, we have uh, on a personal level even had some nice times as you were traveling over here into Portugal. So it's good to be able to connect with you again on the podcast because actually your episode, I think it was episode five of the show, was one of the more popular ones. I know people out there are very interested in how they can get opportunities in Japan. But what's been really cool nice. is uh, I know as well that you've had quite a bit of life changes and a lot of adventures over the last year. So I'm super excited to talk about them and of course hear your stories and share those with our audience as well. Yeah, very cool. I'm, gl- I'm glad to be back. And um, I think our conversation today will be a little bit different than than last time, considering I'm in a very, very different country and a different place in terms of my business and what I'm doing. So, Yeah, man. Um, so before I know that kind of, uh, of course, I'll put the link in the show notes for folks that haven't checked it out yet. But just to kind of recap shortly the episode last time. So you had basically been doing recruiting in Japan and in fact, when we spoke at that point, I think you had left the job about a year prior and you were kind of trying some different side projects and businesses. Mm-hmm. You were working toward getting your permanent residence there in Japan. And so, yeah, some time has passed, a few years, in fact, and a lot of different things. So if you could just give us some of the highlights and, of course, we'll dig into more details in the midst of our conversation. Yeah, totally, man. So when we last spoke, I was I'd already quit my job. I was freelancing. I was traveling across Asia sort of doing a bit of soul searching, uh, writing, blogging, all those things. And one of the things I noticed is I did start to get a little bit lonely, right? This sort of freelance solopreneur life uh, has its pros and cons. And just traveling around Asia sort of gets a bit monotonous. You see the same places and like same tourist traps. And, you know, when I got back to Japan after traveling, I was like, okay, I really want to pursue my goal, which I had initially before quitting my job, which was actually to start, you know, start a business, do a startup, add value and, and sort of impact the world in that way. And that's when I started experimenting with a few different ideas. And at the end of the day, I sort of kept going back to my, my background and my career, which was, which was in recruitment. And I think I'm obviously very biased and sort of very narrow in that just because it's like, okay, this is what I was doing. How can I leverage this? I couldn't really get away from that. So I ended up looking at different ideas for like resume writing services and career consulting services and like all these things. And eventually came came up with the idea of what I'm doing now, which is what I've been doing the last two years, which is a career coaching platform for people looking for jobs. And basically we're connecting these customers, job seekers with career coaches who are former Amazon, Netflix, uh, Facebook, Google, like big tech company employees. And then they're getting one-on-one coaching sessions with, yeah, basically with with those coaches. And then a percentage of them are, are obviously landing the job uh, with the help of those career coaches. So that's that's sort of the very, very short version of, of, of what happened and the sort of business that I'm focused on now. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And I think what you're doing is really cool. And I know that having worked at some tech companies myself and interviewed for a lot of them, it's quite hard to get the role, to keep the role, uh, to find your next opportunity. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that there's a big yeah. need in the market and especially in the midst of all the change we've seen in the last couple of years. I know that work's been, I'm sure work on your side's been strong, but will continue to grow with uh, more people looking at those tech company opportunities. Yeah. So in some ways we were lucky just because a lot of the tech companies are still hiring during COVID. And so people are still able to get jobs there. That wasn't initially what we were doing. The play was actually a bit more B2B focused. And the first six months of the business, I was uh, one of the things I discovered. And if, if you do any research into the coaching industry and the coaching market, there's business coaches and life coaches and you know, coaching for everything, essentially. But more than half of the revenue from the coaching industry is actually coming from companies. Hmm. So companies are paying coaches or paying for coaches. And so knowing that fact, I said, okay, why don't we, why don't we do the B2B market? And, and so we started approaching companies and pitching them. And then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And then all of our like pilots and trials basically just got frozen. And we're like, okay, companies don't really want to spend money on this right now. <laughs> and I had to go back to square one. And, and that's how sort of pivoted again and, and and found the more career coaching approach where people are paying us to help them find a job, uh, which was still very, very relevant during COVID. And you know, even more people are, are looking for jobs just because they have some time to search for jobs online and sort of questioning, asking the bigger questions like, what am I really doing? Am I really happy here? That's something that I think is, is still happening and, and maybe will increase just because things are still going on, right? There's still lockdowns in places and uh, it, it hasn't yeah, it's, it's by no means over. So yeah, absolutely. So did you actually start that business? I guess legally speaking, or or whatnot, uh, getting into some of the more mm-hmm. technicalities. But did you did sure. you start that back in Japan, or was that part of your move? Which I guess you can also unveil for our listeners. Sure, sure. So let's see exactly what happened. I was in Japan. I started building the platform in Japan, so the actual marketplace. I found a couple of freelancers, an advisor, two people who actually ended up becoming my co-founders, which we can talk about later. And I, I didn't register a company anywhere. I, I just started building it. This was for maybe two or three months, still in Japan. And then I guess 2019, June or July, yeah, July 2019, uh, we moved to the Netherlands. And right before we moved, I was researching on how to set up a business and, and all of that. And so I actually set up a BV which is the equivalent of an LLC in the US. And I did that online. This is actually pretty straightforward. You can find some law firms to do it for about 1,000, 1,200 euros. And they register the company. Uh, you decide the number of shares in the company and the owners and, and some, some basic details, the name of the company, and then pay for that. And then it took about like three, four weeks to get that finished. And part of that process, you also need to have a bank account. And so I was able to register a personal bank account and a business bank account abroad, not actually mm-hmm. having an address or, or being in the country uh, with a bank, an online bank, a mobile bank called Bunk, mm-hmm. B-U-N-Q, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's popular in, in, in Portugal, but it's very popular here. I think it's a Dutch company. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, anyways, super easy to use. One of the best like mobile banking experiences actually I've I've, I've had. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of apps like that. Like Revolut is, is, is quite similar, but it's sort of the Dutch version. So I did all of it, basically all of it online before I got to, to the Netherlands. And when I got here, it was all pretty much set up. Um, and then I could sort of start rolling. That's sort of the technical part of it. 
Uh, in retrospect, so I wasn't making any revenue yet. So I was just building the marketplace. And in retrospect, I didn't actually need to start the BV <laughs> uh, in order to, to have the business. And so one of my mistakes was just, just actually setting that up because it ended up costing me more money in terms of taxes and just accounting and, and, and legal fees later on. And so if you, if you're making a lot of revenue already and like you're, you're moving to the Netherlands, then that's, that's one thing because you can definitely save on taxes with an LLC. But if you're just starting your business and there's zero revenue coming in and you have no clients, there's really no reason to set up a BV. Hmm. You might as well just go with a sole proprietorship. Hmm. And from a visa perspective, it actually doesn't matter. It's, it's actually the same thing. They don't hmm. care which one you set up. Uh, so that, that was one lesson learned. Yeah, that's great to hear that. I appreciate the lesson on in terms of the uh, the visa itself. So, I mean, mm-hmm. of course, you can keep it at the high level, but sort of how did that work? And how did you ultimately even decide to go to the Netherlands and find this opportunity to get the sponsorship there? Because you're really moving across the world at this point. Yeah. So let me start with why we move there and then I can get into sure. the details of the visa. So uh, so my wife is Japanese and we met in we met in Tokyo and we were working you know pretty quickly after we were sort of talking about hey you know why don't we travel why don't we explore and she was you know born and raised in Tokyo and I'd been there for a few years so the reason was very personal it was like hey let's just let's just go somewhere different Tokyo and Japan you have this experience as well like it's it's a bit of a bubble in a way and the work experience you get there can certainly be useful elsewhere but it's also very specific to <laughs> Japan so sure. I have a lot of friends who have done like super well in in Japan or, or they have had, had a good career, but then they strategically actually move to the US or Europe to get some some different work experience. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to Japan later with with a sort of a fresh perspective. So that that wasn't actually my initial reason for for, for doing that or I don't know if I've actually gained that perspective, to be honest, <laughs> but I, uh, at, le- at least we wanted to explore and get out for a couple of years. So, so that's why we went. Uh, the reason we chose the Netherlands, so a few reasons. So number one, people speak English. It's pretty easy to just, just set up there. And yeah, th- there, there's no real necessity to learn the, the language um, unless you're staying there for a long time. Uh, number two, startup communities seem pretty active in Amsterdam. Uh, number three, uh, this is not an order of, of uh, you know, priority mm-hmm. or reasons. Like maybe, maybe number one is actually the visa. It was actually pretty straightforward to get the visa. Mm-hmm. So uh, we contacted a law firm who helps foreigners enter, enter the country. And I uh, chatted with, actually chatted with a few of them and found one that was pretty good. And because I'm American, there's a treaty called the Dutch-American mm-hmm. Friendship Treaty, which you've probably heard of, the DAFT. There's also something similar for Japanese, yeah, Japanese citizens, which makes it a little bit easier to go through the application process. So specifically, you know, you have to do like a, I don't know, four or five page business plan on like why you're, you know, if you have a business you're setting up, uh, what, how are you going to get Dutch clients and sort of answer all these questions. Uh, in my case, my business plan was like two pages. So it was just like a little bit shorter and a little bit easier not to say that if you're not American or not Japanese, that it's it's going to be that hard. Uh, I have a good Turkish friend who did the exact same thing like a few months ago, and he, he didn't really have much of an issue. Hmm. The thing is, with his case, he already had his business uh, online making a little bit of money. So he, could, had, he had some proof that, oh, hey, this is already working. I'm just going to set up a, a branch or a similar business in, in, um, in the Netherlands. So 
Uh, so it's really case by case. And I, I can't say how difficult or easy it would be right now. And there's COVID and a lot of factors to consider. And But for, for us, at least, it wasn't too hard. So what we had to do was submit the business plan. And then uh, I think it was like 4,500 euros as a deposit, mm-hmm. uh, just to show that we're, yeah, we're serious and we have some money to live and fill out some paperwork. The lawyer, immigration lawyer, did a lot of this for us. And then, yeah, we got we got to the country, had to make a couple trips to the embassy, fill out some more stuff, get an apartment. And then we got the visa, I think, within like four months or so. Okay, nice. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that the cool part about, uh, I guess this depends on the lawyer, but if, if you can find one where you don't actually have to pay anything up mm-hmm. front. So it was, we only had to pay once we got the visa, which mm-hmm. was quite nice. And that was about a thousand, a little more than a thousand euros. So 4,500 to enter a thousand to the lawyer, 500 euros to the government or a bit more for, for both me and Yuka. And then there was the business, which was like another thousand euros or so. Uh, so yeah, seven, 8,000 euros total. And as you were saying, I guess it wasn't actually a requirement for you to set up the business before you went. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually, yeah, very reasonable. It sounds like, um, and especially being quite open. And as you said, maybe even easier coming from the nationalities, the citizenships that you both hold. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. What I was wondering though, is if you had to renew it, I mean, how long is that visa? And if you had to renew it, do you have to prove some progress on your business? Like, how, you know, how long could mm-hmm. you sort of keep it rolling for? For sure. Yeah. So, so again, this, this might change in the future or it might be different now, but uh, as far as I know, I have to prove that I'm making on average 1,500 euros through the business mm-hmm. and revenue, which, which we are. So that's not an issue. And then you just have to show that, yeah, you're, you're active in the Netherlands. So like the business right. is here or sole proprietorship is here. You're making money, uh, you're paying taxes and uh, and that's about it. And then that would be renewed for three years. Nice. Yeah. That's so pretty- our, our initial visa was two years, mm-hmm. and then th- the renewal would be three years. And then after that, then I think it becomes a little bit more serious. And they want you to take like a Dutch language test. Mm-hmm. And if you want to renew it again, there's some path to to becoming a resident, a full time resident here, right? Um, in the EU. So. And I know uh, last time when we were speaking that you were trying, I believe, to get your permanent residence in Japan. Is that something that you managed to do or did you maintain that? Like, I don't know what the process exactly is there. And, you know, that since you left for a while, if that impacts that at all. Oh, in in Japan. No, um, I did not get that. But my wife is Japanese. So when we go back to Japan, we'll be I'll be under a spousal visa. Right. And uh, for, yeah, I think that's probably the, the most straightforward way to go back for me right now. So Yeah, it makes sense. So how has it been to actually grow and develop or frankly, even starting from the setup stages of your business over the last couple of years in the Netherlands? Have you found it to be that great startup scene and exciting dynamic business environment or, you know, what challenges have you faced as well? Yeah, it's it's a good question. It's 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 a little bit odd to answer it now because everything that's happened in the last two years. And so, I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hard to ignore, but when we got here, we're really, we just had a few months before COVID happened. So I I did go to some networking events, some meetups, had some friends visit, and then sort of started getting serious about things a few months in and then COVID happened. And so I don't think that I, I really experienced or was able to tap into like the full potential of events and, and the community here. 
that was basically shut down for the last year and a half. Yeah. So, so that's, that's sort of my <laughs> not cop out answer, but like, that's the truth. But in terms of what I can tell you, there's actually a lot of support for entrepreneurs from what I experienced. So I, I got a coach uh, who I met online. Uh, she's, she's Dutch, but lived in the UK and has worked as an entrepreneur and, and done a few different things. And so she's been coaching me like once a month for about 90 minutes on, on growing the business and that sort of thing. And I didn't have this information before I met her, but there's all these different subsidies and all these different uh, grants and subsidies and investments for entrepreneurs. So the first thing, for example, is if you want a coach, the government will actually subsidize you as an entrepreneur to pay for your coach for mm-hmm. up to like almost 3000 euros, uh, which, which is great. Cause like, yeah, you, if you want someone to sort of help you out that knows the market, uh, they can give you a lot of advice and also like connect you with some people. So she's been super helpful, my coach Lizanne, and uh, I didn't have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Uh, basically free coaching. Uh, and, and the second thing is there are different funds, like almost like little VC funds within the government for each region. Hmm. And they're trying to invest in startups locally to yeah, basically just like boost the ecosystem. And like, I didn't know about any of that until actually quite recently. <laughs> and so I've, I've had, and it's a bit unfortunate because now it, it wouldn't be quite right for me to take, take that money and then like shut down the company and leave to, to Japan. Right. So, so I'm not doing that. But basically, I've had calls with, with some of these government officials, like investors. And yeah, they basically just have little funds. They invest 50K to like a million, a million euros, depending on, on your size and potential and everything. And they're very active. Like they're super active in, in investing. So, there is money here from the government that you could take advantage of and, and these different subsidies, uh, which which you can find. And then maybe the third thing, which is not totally relevant to what I'm doing, but could be for other entrepreneurs. So the Netherlands is obviously very progressive and there's a lot of like NGOs and a lot of, there's a lot of startups as well that are focused on the um, environmental, having a positive environmental impact and something with sort of a socially mm relevant sort of like a kind of a social business model, right? Social entrepreneurship. And there's a ton of investment and mm. subsidies for that. Mm. So I'm on a few newsletters and like all the investments <laughs> that the government is doing is like supporting a fishing village with a new business model in Africa or this new technology uh, for for wind turbines or whatever. So like if you if you are an entrepreneur in that space or you're interested in that space, then this is like an awesome place to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. great feedback. And definitely, I'm sure there's plenty of eager entrepreneurs uh, listening or watching out there that are interested in taking up the Netherlands on this great opportunity. But as you looked at the country, of course, as you looked from the outside, and then you actually got to experience living there for the last couple of years, how has the culture been, even on just a personal mm-hmm. level, maybe outside the business as well? But have you found it to be what you expected? Has it been an easy transition? Or where have some of the harder parts been? Sure. So one of the things I was looking forward to moving here was experiencing a, a more direct sort of feedback culture where mm. in Japan, you sort of have to read between the lines and, and and have a lot of context. And once you get good at that, then it's not that hard. You sort of figure it out. But I was also really craving just people telling me like, <laughs> okay, this is what I think. This is how it is. So I definitely got that. <laughs> and I, I think that's one of the benefits. Like, you know, I was actually just on a call a couple of hours ago with with this uh, this company here, and yeah, they just asked me like super super direct questions. We got to the point, and it's an effective meeting. Hmm. 
I, I have enjoyed a lot of the conversations I've had with investors, with potential partners, and just with people here in general, and not just in business. So that that's that's super cool. I think on culturally, just like on a day to day basis, I'm comparing things to Japan and maybe other places in Europe. The food is is certainly overpriced mm. from my experience. Like you're, you're paying you know thirty forty euros maybe for dinner, and it's not that great. Mm. Uh, yeah. So. So coming coming from a place where food is like super important and and you have high quality for value mm. for price, then we're a little bit disappointed about that. And it may not seem like a big deal, you know. You can cook at home and that's fine. And there's some amazing markets here where you can get like awesome cheese and 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 all the stereotypes you think about when you think about the Netherlands. But but food is important. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's it, it's a big it's a big part. You don't really realize it food and, and like the mountains where right? there's no mountains here, obviously it's very flat. And so you don't really realize how much you miss things or, or like things until they're, they're, they're not there. And so I think that's maybe not just a, my experience. It's a common experience when you go anywhere and, and sure. it's different. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you moved there just a couple months before this whole pandemic struck. Did you find it difficult to adjust and deal with that reality? Like you said, you couldn't go to as many startup yeah. events. Maybe you couldn't as easily build a network. I know I've had that experience here in Portugal. So what's it been like mm. to deal with that? It's been pretty tough. So personally, I made a couple of good friends here, not many, right? And so I think beyond that, it's it's been difficult because you're sort of isolated, right? You, you, you come to a new country, you don't have a network, you don't really have many friends, didn't have time to, to, to really build that or an opportunity to do that. And so that was really the tough, toughest part for me. And this may not be relevant really to anyone anymore because things are getting better, but there is still something to say about it where if you are moving to a new country, it's, you know, you're trying to do something from scratch that already is really hard, right? Already, yeah. It's just starting a business in itself is, is tough no matter where you are. And so I think I've learned a few things about myself and, and how important, yeah, just how important community is, how important relationships are, um, actually investing a lot of time into that and not just, just just working twenty four seven, and um, I did get quite burnt out at one point, and and just basically had to take like six weeks off where I was just brain dead and, and couldn't function. Yeah, and and that was totally a consequence of of my my decisions uh, to to not really take time off and sort of that that uh, Japanese workaholic mentality <laughs> that I've uh, perhaps uh, <laughs> I don't know taken from 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 my time there but um, I do think thinking a little bit about that when you move anywhere is, mm. is important like how am I really gonna like take time to like three six months just to really really put yourself out there meet a lot of people make some friends and then that's gonna make having a social support network is gonna make things so much easier just just in terms of starting a business but also when things get tough. And as you said, you, you've had that experience of working in Japan, maybe more workaholic style, but now you're in Europe, which I, and especially in the Netherlands, which I think is generally known for having, you know, more mm -hmm. of that free time, more, more vacation time, uh, separation between work and home life. Do you feel like you've been able to pick up any of that culture and integrate it into yourself as well? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's been, there's just a lot of people out there's a lot of people out, even, you know, the restrictions are easing a bit. And yeah, whenever it's a sunny day. So the thing, it's not just the work culture, but it's also partly the the weather. Mm. So you don't have too many sunny days. And so when there is a sunny day, people are really out, you know, they're, they're at the park, they're walking around, they're drinking. And, and I think before, if I was in Tokyo, somewhere else, and it's a sunny day, no problem just working right through it. Mm. But, mm. but now I appreciate it a little bit more like, hey, maybe <laughs> I should... 
I should step out, smell the roses, enjoy the sunshine a bit. So I'm definitely like cherishing my weekends more than I than I did in the past. Yeah, that's good to hear. I mean, there's always some adjustment one way or another. And I guess what we become is just a mix of all of those influences and experiences in the long run, right? Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a journey. And uh, what, one thing I, I didn't mention, I forgot to when we first moved here was just the finding an apartment, mm. which I don't know if we got lucky, but it, was, it wasn't too difficult. Mm. So there's a lot of apartments where we live, which is Utrecht, a relatively small town. 20 minutes southeast of Amsterdam. There's also a lot of apartments in The Hague. So a lot of expats go in and out of the city. Hmm. So those are two places we were looking at just because there were a lot of availabilities. Amsterdam was a little bit harder, a little bit more expensive. One of the reasons we we didn't uh, pick a spot there. And also we wanted to experience a slightly smaller smaller city after Tokyo. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so we, we definitely got that experience. So the way that it works here, very straightforward. You don't actually go to the real estate agent's building or office. You have to call them based on the listing that you see online. There's a bunch of sites like funda.nl and and there's a couple you can find pretty easily. And then you just call them, ask them if the apartment is available. They ask you how much your income is and if you can prove it. You say yes or no, go for a showing, usually within that week and then make a decision pretty quick. So that that was our experience. Literally the first place I called is the place that we ended up living in. <laughs> That's awesome. So our budget was around 1,000 to 1,400 euros. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, it's not like a super, super high budget, but I think it's maybe a little bit higher than, than some people. And so I think if you're in the 700 to 1,000 range, it's going to be more competitive. But if you're above 1,000, then I think it, it's not going to be too difficult. So... And and just for reference, I guess, how big of an apartment is that or how would you kind of describe the, the place? Yeah, so it's it's two floors. First floor has got the kitchen, the living room, second floor, a bedroom, and a little workroom, really large windows, which are common, common here, which is nice, a lot of sunlight. I think it's around, I don't know, like 70, 70 square meters, something like that. Nice. So it sounds like maybe a better deal than your Shibuya apartment. Oh yeah, we're we're paying more in Shibuya for like half yeah <laughs> half, half the size. So that was my experience moving and to Berlin as windows. well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I know earlier in the conversation you also talked about how it was pretty easy to be able to get around and communicate in English. So I was curious if if you if you found that out to be true when you were actually living there, and if you've tried to, mm-hmm. to learn any Dutch or you know how's that experience? Is it a problem to be able to just live your life there in English, given that so many people speak it? So I did not learn any Dutch <laughs> apart from some really basic greetings. And, you know, I know the word for, do you want a receipt at the grocery store? Yeah. <laughs> some stuff that you hear right. over and over. But people speak English so well here. Uh, it's like super impressive compared to where I was coming from before in Japan. Like it's, you know, most people aren't, aren't speaking any decent level of English. So so I was I was super impressed by that. And I, that wasn't really motivating for me to learn mm. the language, I guess. I think I really felt like an expat in that sense. Right. I really felt like I'm coming to a, I'm going to a new country to sort of work and to maybe set up a new life. But I'm, I'm also going to be sort of in this in this community where I may, maybe don't have as many Dutch friends sort of thing. So I, I definitely felt like I had more of that experience. And for a two year, a two year stint, I think that's fine. Obviously, if you're going to be here longer than or in any country, I would definitely 
be in a language class and not just to learn the language, but also, you know, you're in that environment and, and you meet people there that are in your situation, you make friends that way. And so that I don't regret not doing that. I, I, I'm, it wasn't super important for me to learn the language, but I think if I were to stay here longer, then I would definitely take that up more seriously. So, Have you seen many other expats take a serious interest in learning the language? Because something that I've heard and, and seen of folks that I know living there just never really seem to, unless they're there for 10 plus years, just don't really seem to pick it up too much. And it's understandable why, because everyone speaks English so well. I'm just curious if, yeah. if you've seen people really, other foreigners, be able to really invest in integrating that way. Not not many. I, I think a lot of, like you said, if, if you're here for a long time is one thing, but who I have seen pick it up is more more like immigrants from, not, not necessarily refugees, but like immigrants from South American or African countries or, you know, just slightly poorer countries where like they're really getting out to start a new life. Mm -hmm. They're not just coming for a couple of years or like, Hey, I'm getting to the Netherlands. And the first thing I'm going to do is learn the language so I can live here for a long ass time. Right. And they, they have that goal from, from the get go. So, uh, so they speak Dutch super well. And that's like pretty much every Uber driver and, and a, a lot of like service related industries. Yeah. Um, my, like my hair barber, for example. So, They've been here for a few years, like like three or four years from Syria, and like their Dutch is already fluent, right? Because they're right. they're just super motivated to learn it. But apart, yeah, in terms of expats doing startups, they're here for two, three years. Like, yeah, you don't really see too many learning language. Was it always your plan to just stay for around two years, or what was your thinking going into it, or maybe did it evolve over the time that you lived there? That's a good question. So our thinking when we when we moved was let's try it out. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any sort of time on there, time cap or minimum. We just said, hey, we've got a two-year visa. We can reconsider it in two years. Our lease, our apartment lease is up in, in, in two years. So so that's that's the the timing that we're going to think about it. And you know, a few months ago, we're like, okay, <laughs> let's take stock of, of, of how things have gone. Well, we obviously, you know, we have friends and family in Japan, also in terms of like business and my network. Uh, there, there are some advantages of me still being mm. in Japan. Mm. And interestingly, my customers, my business is pretty much all online. And most of my customers are actually in the US. So it doesn't, it doesn't make too much sense um, for us to be here. Uh, so that, yeah. So with all those factors combined, we said, hey, like this is a great place. Maybe, maybe in the future we can move here or somewhere else in Europe. But yeah, for now, like signing out. See you next time. So, <laughs> and how do you feel about it, knowing that that's coming up in in the next months, or perhaps even when this episode is aired, uh, you might already be back in Japan. Like, are you excited about that transition back into Japanese life, or you know, I'm yeah. sure it's a mix of emotions. But yeah, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I I'm definitely excited to to go back, but I'm curious to know how my perspective has mm -hmm. changed. Like a lot of people, like I'm, I'm a really positive guy, but like a lot of people, I've you know got a bit jaded from this whole COVID experience, and so I'm like, okay, like uh, sort of annoyed, and the weather is still sort of crappy here. Like I'm ready to get out. Yeah. So that that's really one feeling, but on the other hand, I'm like, I'm sure when I get there, there's going to be some things which I miss, and I'll say, hey, like you know, the Netherlands is way better in. In, in this or in that, or just the way they run, you know, the, the way you talk to a company or the, just the public transportation or, or what, whatever, whatever things that I'll start comparing it to, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll have some, some different feelings when I get there. 
but I'm, I'm curious to know what that is. I don't know. Um, I don't think it's going to be like super negative uh, or, or super positive. I think it's just going to be a different frame of reference now that I've had this experience. So, yeah. And that always keeps evolving. Right. And there's no place that's perfect. Everywhere has its pros and cons. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's very common. For sure. If you could just uh, maybe take a step back at your time living here in the Netherlands, um, especially as you're, as you're, you know, soon to be making your way back to Japan, how would you describe or think about your overall experience there? And would you recommend it to other people that might be interested in the opportunity? Sure. So I, I would absolutely recommend people to consider the Netherlands as an option and really take into account what's important for you right now in terms of your business, in terms of yeah, in terms of work, in terms of culture and all these things, and really take to take stock of that. I think it's a very easy place to move to. I think you won't really have any trouble communicating with people, assuming things are open, like you'll be able to, to network and go to events and bars and, and all of that. So I think in many ways, it's pretty straightforward to come here. It's not the cheapest place. Mm. The food isn't the best. You're going to have to travel if you want to see some mountains. So there's some of these social these social elements and just sort of like living living factors, which are, if they're really important to you, then yeah, you need to take that into account. But I think overall as a package, it's as a really solid place for us to move to. And it's a really easy place to start a business. There's, it's funny, I actually, I had a conversation with this guy, uh, this government official who was interviewing me about my startup experience in order to better improve how the government works with startups. Hmm. So I was like super happy to talk to him. Uh, to share my experience, and one of the one of the things I told him was I'm actually shutting down my business here, hmm. and I've set up a business in Delaware in the U.S. Hmm. Partly just because it's easier to raise money that way as a startup, and also I'm a U.S. citizen, so I can just do everything online. Right. If it was really easy for me to do that in the Netherlands and to keep my business, I would just keep it here because hmm. there's also a lot of European investors, and I've got the bank account and everything. But the reason I'm shutting it down, there's actually a couple of reasons I'm shutting down my business. And and one is I technically have to have, I either have to be a resident or have someone that works here uh, and lives here. Mm. So I'm, I'm pretty much the only person in my team here and everyone else is in different countries. So what I would have to do is technically appoint some advisor or advisory firm to take care of the mm. company and then pay them some fee, which is not cheap. And then the second point is I can't legally have my bank account without a residency card here in the mm-hmm. Netherlands. So then they would also be in charge of the bank. And so if you have somebody like that, or if you've already built up some business here, then it could make sense just to keep the business as the main branch or a subsidiary. But if you're just like a solopreneur and you don't have any employees, they're all freelance, then you're not living here. It's, it's going to be actually hard to keep that business here uh, w- without paying quite a bit of money, plus all the accounting and admin you have to do on top of that. So so those are the reasons that I'm not keeping the business and I'm just setting it up in, in, in the US already. So that's a little bit of context and background that might be useful for people. And ultimately, because of course, you're finishing out your two-year visa and you had that business in the Netherlands and now you're going back to Japan intending to be on the spousal visa, then you don't have to have you know a local company in Japan per se to be able to sponsor yourself or anything like that, just for the sake of, I guess, of the listeners and viewers that are interested in trying to make that happen. How sure. can I have the US business, but 
um, still make the visa work. Of course, it depends country to country, but just in your case. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, it's a good question. So for the Japan visa, for the spousal visa, my understanding is you, you basically get it for a year. So it's a short short term. So the first year, um, and then you, you have to renew it. And then when it's renewed, it's, it's much longer, mm. or three years or five years or whatever. When you get the visa initially, you just have to show some, yeah, basically some financial stability on, on either side, either or both sides. And, and then just a little bit about your intention or, and you know, all the spousal stuff, like how you met mm. and just to prove your marriage is legit. I would, of course, recommend, I always recommend getting a lawyer or an accountant to do stuff just because yeah. I'm super lazy and, and especially for somewhere like Japan, it's like there's like little details. If you miss them, you're just totally screwed. So yeah, uh, I would I would definitely recommend getting a lawyer for for any of this immigration stuff. And uh, the second part is once you renew the spousal visa, then I think there might be some other requirements for income. They want to see what you're doing, and so I'll have to consider that maybe in a few months. Like maybe set up a, a subsidiary in Japan, or I'm paying myself a salary from the U.S. So I'm not exactly sure what the best option would be at that, at that stage. Um, so I'll have to see. I'll yeah. Have to see then. <laughs> cross that bridge when you get there. I think you have enough bridges for now. <laughs> I've got a few bridges to cross first. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's amazing to get the, the full picture of the story over the last few years. It's uh, sounds like a lot of ups and downs, but a lot of wonderful uh, adventures and experiences. How can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? I know you shared that last time, but if you could share that again, as well as of mm-hmm. course, any information that you can on your business, that would be awesome. Sure. So you can reach out to me anytime through my my personal site, which is just mishirichenko.me. That's my blog, blog post. I haven't written a blog post actually in a few months. I, I still write my newsletter about once a month. So you can sort of check out what I'm doing there. I'm always like sharing updates and like different articles and stuff I come across. And then for Karis, it's C-A-R-R-U-S dot I-O. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can check it out. Uh, we have lots of great coaches. You can get free calls with coaches as well. If you if you happen to be looking for a job in tech, then <laughs> nice. you, you can check that out. So Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Misha. It's awesome to catch up and look forward to seeing how life goes back for you back in Japan. And I have one last question, actually. What are you most looking forward to eating back in Japan? It sounds like that's top of mind. Oh, my gosh, man. I mean, it's literally everything. I... I actually miss like, I don't eat a lot of carbs lately. I'm, I'm a little bit more on the keto diet, but I really miss good rice, mm. like just some good rice with some yakiniku with a bit of sauce and like a, like a, like a raw egg on top of it. Just like mix that up. Yeah. Delicious. That sounds like a dream. <laughs> well, enjoy it. And I hope to see you back in Japan sometime soon. Yeah, man. It's been fun. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.